Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the CyberArk fourth quarter and year-end 2020 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to turn the conference over to your speaker today, Erica Smith, Vice President of Investor Relations. Thank you. Please go ahead. Thank you, Erica. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today to review CyberArk's fourth quarter and year-end 2020 financial results. With me on the call today are Udi Mokadi, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Josh Siegel, Chief Financial Officer. After prepared remarks, we will open up the call to a question and answer session. Before we begin, let me remind you that certain statements made on the call today may be considered forward-looking statements, which reflect management's best judgment based on currently available information. I refer specifically to the discussion of our expectations and beliefs regarding our projected results of operation for the first quarter and for the full year 2021. Our actual results might differ materially from those projected in these forward-looking statements. I direct your attention to the risk factors contained in the company's annual report on Form 20F filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and those referenced in today's press release that are posted to CyberArk's website, as well as risks regarding our ability to begin actively transitioning the business to a subscription model in 2021, as well as the duration and scope of the COVID-19 pandemic, its related impact on global economies, and our ability to adjust in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. CyberArk expressly disclaims any application or undertaking to release publicly any updates or revisions to any forward-looking statements made today. Additionally, non-GAAP financial measures will be discussed on this conference call. Reconciliations to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are also available in today's press release, as well as in an updated investor presentation that outlines the financial discussion in today's call. This information can be found at www.cyberarc.com in the quarterly results section under Investor Relations. Also, a webcast of today's call will be available on our website. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Udi Mopati. Udi? Thanks, Erica, and thanks, everyone, for joining the call today. We hope you and your families are safe and healthy. We want to spend some time today discussing our record results for the quarter, outlining the market dynamics and tailwinds, and lastly, detailing the formal launch of our subscription transition just a few weeks ago and how it aligns to our 2021 objectives. We have a lot of information to cover as we kick off 2021, so we will be also hosting a virtual investor event on March 10th, where we can provide more detail on our growth strategy, innovation, and on our subscription transition. 2020 was not what any of us expected, but I'm incredibly proud of what Cybark accomplished as a team. Because of our focus and agility, we are a much stronger company today. We executed against our strategic imperatives from early in the year to drive cross-sell and upsell, strengthen our channel program, build new ways of targeting prospects, and enhance our customer success organization. We also responded to COVID-19 and successfully adjusted our entire operation and processes to work from home, including not missing a beat for remote deployments, support, and the full range of customer engagements. We quickly responded to the more abrupt change in customer buying preferences of our products towards SaaS and subscription. Early in the year, we acquired Adaptive, positioning us to deliver our identity security strategy. 
And in every quarter of 2020, we created record new pipeline across our solutions. When coupled with our strong execution, in Q4, we delivered our best quarter ever. Total revenue reached an all-time high of $145 million in the fourth quarter, with record SaaS and subscription bookings, which also created increasing headwinds to our recognized revenue. In addition, we generated non-GAAP operating income of $40 million, well ahead of our guidance. For the full year, revenue reached $464 million. This included over $50 million of recurring license revenue, which grew faster than 200% in 2020, compared with $16 million in 2019. Our non-GAAP operating income for the year was $91 million. It is important to remember that even with the record quarter, during our transition to a recurring revenue model, the headline P&L is a lagging indicator and understates the stronger momentum that we are experiencing or we experienced in the business as we exited the year. Annual recurring revenue, or ARR, better demonstrates this success. ARR reached $274 million at year-end, with growth accelerating to 43%. In any event, you will hear from Josh later that when we adjust for the mix shift, our sales grew about 25% in the fourth quarter. The four main takeaways from our record results. First, we experienced broad-based demand across PAM, including on-premise and cloud, Endpoint Privilege Manager, and DevSecOps, or Application Access Manager. Second, the pace and level of engagement with existing, customer, existing customers is at an all-time high with room to accelerate. Identity security is increasingly recognized, not only as foundational to comprehensive security strategies, but also as a business enabler of digital transformation and cloud. Third, we saw a healthy increase in new business, signing about 280 marquee logos across industries. We also have a record new business pipeline, where we are seeing an acceleration of progress through the pipeline ahead into 2021. And lastly, we are formally beginning our subscription transition with strong momentum, with a large, rapidly growing base of recurring revenue, and importantly, offer record fourth quarter. PAM remained a top priority, but we did see macro uncertainty drive customers to buy for immediate need in 2020. Digging into the fourth quarter, we saw this actually lead to even faster velocity in some of our add-on business, including these following great examples. A European retailer began implementing a privilege access management program based on our blueprint methodology in Q2. This customer quickly added on another $750,000 of core past licenses in the fourth quarter and is still in phase one of its program. Like many organizations, this U.S. consumer manufacturing customer is shifting left, embracing DevSecOps to move faster and grow its business. They were, they were leveraging Conjure to secure secrets and drive their mission-critical digital transformation program forward. In the fourth quarter, they enhanced their security posture, buying privilege access management, and significantly broadening their Conjure deployment. A financial services customer, APJ, was rolling out a multi-cloud strategy with Azure and Google Cloud and wanted a scalable, enterprise-class secrets management solution. This existing cyber customer for PAM was using a competitive DevSecOps solution but in the fourth quarter decided to move to CyberArk to secure secrets across all applications because of our increased security and visibility enterprise-wide. On the new business front, a number of key wins include a top 50 retailer, <clears throat> a regional European airline, 
an Asia-Pacific cloud services company, and two major car manufacturers. We ended the year with about 6,600 customers, up from about 5,300 last year. We are proud to be helping secure nearly 40% of the Global 2000 today. Of the 280 new logos we signed, about 57% of the business included our SaaS or subscription solutions, up from about 23% in 2019. Two examples are a top 10 energy provider in Europe with a cloud-first strategy selected CyberArk as their trusted partner to help secure critical infrastructure. They will be consolidating tools and standardizing on CyberArk for privilege endpoint security, enabling the team to have increased visibility and control with our SaaS solutions. In a competitive win, a major car manufacturer picked Adaptive for its cloud-based single sign-on and MFA. We also won a leading U.S. restaurant chain with Adaptive, which we believe will provide us with a new landing point for our sales team. Our identity security strategy with PAM as the foundation is at the center of the major industry tailwinds of digital transformation, cloud migration, hacker innovation, and compliance. The SolarWinds breach is clearly hacker innovation. Supply chain attacks are far from new, but this attack was unprecedented in its scope. While SolarWinds was not a driver of our results in the fourth quarter, it was a wake-up call for organizations, an important reminder that privilege exploitation is at the center of every major attack. There's been significant, a significant uptick in interest in our identity security offerings. The response to this attack has clearly been a flight to trust. Companies are now adopting an assumed breach mentality and are turning to trusted security partners who not only have comprehensive solutions, but also deep experience remediating post-breach situations. We expect this event to be a tailwind for our business over the long term. Moving on to the transition, we officially kicked off our subscription program in early January, and based on feedback from partners, customers, and employees, we are confident that the timing is right. Customers and partners want the benefit of a subscription model, and we have the mature SaaS portfolio, the differentiated subscription offering that will contribute to our success. Some of the main components of our program include incentivizing our sales team to grow ARR by selling subscription and SaaS, introducing new on-prem PAM packages to pull purchases towards our subscription offering. These offerings are feature-rich with our Alero remote access with SaaS functionality, including adaptive multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and loosely connected devices, or LCD functionality. Focusing the entire organization around faster time to value and adoption with our customer success team and established customer care lifecycle, and rolling out a company-wide enablement program to all of our employees to deliver a best-in-class transition. As we look into 2021, our priorities are growth, innovation, the subscription transition, and scaling within the large identity security market. To drive growth, the team is organized around three pillars, access, DevSecOps, and PAM, which together form our identity security portfolio. We believe this optimized structure will provide the right level of attention and resources, and our access and DevSecOps speedboats while also driving growth of our core PAM business. In addition, in 2021, we will extend our reach by strengthening our partner program across VARs, advisories, and MSPs. Fueling our innovation engine is critical to staying a step ahead of attackers and also strengthening our leadership position in the market. 
In 2021, we are stepping up our R&D investments to build our SaaS identity security platform and at the same time continue to enhance our solutions. We believe delivering new functionality and solving complex security challenges will also be key to completing the virtuous cycle of success in our subscription model. We are well on our way to transforming CyberArk into a high-growing, recurring revenue company with significant contribution from our SaaS solutions. We continue to expect the transition to take eight to 10 quarters beginning from the first quarter of 2021. This year, we are laser focused on increasing our subscription mix, growing ARR, and protecting our base of customers. We believe we will reduce friction in the sales process, increase cross-sell activity, and build enduring relationships with our customers by delivering deeper value and stronger security. Ultimately, the tighter relationships forged by subscription sales will generate higher lifetime customer value. We are in a growing market, and our solutions are aligned to the broader industry. We are making the right investments in our go-to-market and innovation engines to drive growth, but are also focused on profitability and returning to the company to the rule of 40 after we exit the subscription transition. We are heading into 2021 off a record quarter with strong momentum, and I'm excited about the year ahead. I will now turn the call over to Josh, who will discuss our record results in more detail, our subscription transition, and outlook for the first quarter and the full year. Off to you, Josh. Thanks, Udi. Before we discuss the details of the quarter, we wanted to remind you that we posted slides to the website this morning that will be helpful as we walk through our results. As Udi mentioned, we were pleased to beat our guidance for revenue, operating income, and earnings per share, including record revenue in the fourth quarter of $145 million. That's up about 11% from $130 million in the fourth quarter of last year. Our best quarter ever was driven by increasing demand across our solutions, and we accomplished this despite the increasing revenue headwind from the subscription transition of $18 million for the fourth quarter and about $45 million for the full year. License revenue in the fourth quarter was $80.8 million compared with $76.5 million in the fourth quarter last year, and the recurring portion of license revenue was $17.4 million, and that's 22% of our total license revenue. That's more than tripling from $5.7 million, or 7% in the fourth quarter last year. SaaS revenue grew by over 300% year-on-year, reaching $9 million, and subscription or term-based license revenue increased to $8 million in the fourth quarter from $3 million the prior year. Our combined maintenance and professional services revenue was $64 million, increasing 20% over the prior year period. The breakdown of this line is approximately $52 million from recurring maintenance contracts and $11.5 million in professional services revenue. As Udi mentioned, we are on track with kicking off our subscription transition formally in the first quarter. With the known transition effect of increasing revenue recognized rapidly, we will emphasize total recurring revenue, the percentage mix of bookings from SaaS and subscription, and annual recurring revenue, or ARR, as the key metrics to provide visibility into the health of our business. Looking back in the fourth quarter, total recurring revenue grew to $70 million, or 48% of total revenue. That grew 41% from the $50 million of recurring revenue 
which was only 38% of total revenue in the fourth quarter last year. Our recurring revenue growth is being driven by the record bookings for subscription-based licenses throughout 2020, as well as our continued strong maintenance renewal rates for our software. As a reminder, total recurring revenue includes SaaS, subscription, and the recurring maintenance revenue associated with our perpetual license contracts. The mix of new SaaS and subscription bookings as a percent of total license bookings is an indicator of the pace and success of the transition. In total, SaaS and subscription bookings represented about 35% of our new license bookings, increasing from the 10% in the fourth quarter of 2019. Our strong execution at year-end, including robust, perpetual license sales as customers move forward with their mission-critical identity security programs, added to our top line while we still remained on track with our mix expectations related to our transition timeline goals. The headwind created by the mix of bookings was about $18 million. That's in line with what we discussed in November, demonstrating yet another record quarter for our SaaS and subscription business. Taking the headwind into consideration, our revenue in the fourth quarter with a comparable mix of bookings would have grown by about 25%. For the full year of 2020, the significant shift in our new license bookings towards more recurring and routable business effectively lowered our reported revenue by approximately $45 million. The metric we are also excited about is our AAR growth, as it indicates the path towards becoming a high-growth subscription business. At December 31, our AAR was $274 million, with growth accelerating to 43% year-on-year from $192 million at year-end 2019. Now I'll provide some further color on the business. The level of engagement with our 6,600 customers continues to be at an all-time high, and we saw about 74% of license revenue coming from add-on business during the fourth quarter. We are pleased as well with the momentum in our new business, with improved close rates and strong pipeline growth in the fourth quarter. We also continue to see an increasing percentage of new customers land with our SaaS Privilege Access Manager solution. Our expectation is that our new SaaS customers will start smaller, recognize, time fast, recognize faster time to value, and quickly expand their overall CyberArk program following the Blueprint methodology. In terms of solution areas, our application or DevSecOps solution had a record quarter, representing about 16% of license revenue with more customers securing their digital transformation programs with CyberArk. Endpoint Privilege Manager was about 6% of license revenue, and that's with about 90% of the EPM bookings being SaaS. The business remained well diversified across geographies for the quarter. America's revenue in the quarter was $82 million, representing 57% of total revenue. I would also note that the Americas, again, had the strongest percentage of SaaS and subscription bookings during the quarter, which naturally impacts the recognized revenue. EMEA revenue was $50 million, or 35% of total revenue in the fourth quarter. APJ generated $12 million in revenue, representing 8% of total revenue for the fourth quarter. As I move through the P&L, all line items will be discussed on a non-GAAP basis. Please see the full GAAP 
to non-GAAP reconciliation in the tables of our press release and posted to our website. Our fourth quarter gross profit was $127 million, or 88% gross margin. As we demonstrated throughout the pandemic, we believe it is in the best long-term interest of our business and our shareholders to continue to make strategic but disciplined investments to drive long-term growth. R&D expense grew by 28% year-on-year to $23 million to enhance our solutions. Sales and marketing increased 16% to $54 million to expand the reach of our global sales team with the increase a bit offset by the reduced travel spending. G&A expense grew single digits to about $10 million. In total, operating expenses for the fourth quarter increased 18% to $87 million, and that includes about $6 million of incremental expenses associated with the adaptive operations. Our operating income was significantly ahead of our guidance of $40 million, or a 28% operating margin. As a reminder, the approximately $18 million revenue headwind had a corresponding impact on our operating income. Net income was $33 million, or $0.82 cents per diluted share for the fourth quarter, also beating our guidance. Now, let me summarize our results for the full year 2020. Total revenue for the year reached $464 million with $226 million in license revenue, $197 million from recurring maintenance contracts, and $41 million in professional services revenue. Total recurring revenue accounted for 53%, or $247 million. That's growing 41% from the $176 million and equaling only 40% of total revenue for all of 2019. You can see the details of our, of our revenue breakdown in the PowerPoint presentation on our website. Our gross margin for the full year was 86%, compared with 88% in 2019 as we continue to invest in our cloud platform. Looking at the full year, R&D represented 17% of total revenue up from 14% last year, driven by the acquisition of Adaptive, increasing investments in our cloud and on-premises offering, as well as our identity security platform. Sales and marketing represented 41% of total revenue, that's up from 37% last year, and G&A represented 8% of total revenue, in line with 8% in 2019. Our operating income was $91 million, or 20% operating margin, and in total, Adaptive lowered our annual operating margin by about 2%. As a reminder, the approximate $45 million headwind also had a corresponding impact on our operating income. Normalizing for the headwind impact on the P&L, our operating margin would have been approximately 26% for the full year. Over 70% of our operating expenses are related to headcount. We ended the fourth quarter with 1,689 employees worldwide. We ended the year with about 772 employees in sales and marketing. That grew about 18% year on year. Our net income for the year was $81 million with our earnings per diluted share of $2.05. We generated $100 million in free cash flow for the year or 22% margin for 2020. This cash flow contributed to our strong balance sheet, and we ended the year with $1.2 billion in cash and investments. We also ended the year with $243 million in total deferred revenue. That's up 27% from 
from $190 million at the year-end 2019. Our SAS deferred, it grew by over 400% again this quarter, reaching $46 million compared to $9 million at December 31, 2019. Turning to our guidance, as a reminder, our guidance does not consider any potential impact to financial, other income, and expenses associated with foreign exchange gains or losses as we do not try to estimate future movements in foreign currency rates. So for the first quarter of 2021, we expect total revenue of 106 to $112 million. We expect a non-GAAP operating loss of about $2.5 million to non-GAAP operating income of $2.5 million for the first quarter. We expect our EPS to range from non-GAAP net loss of $0.03 cents per basic and diluted share to net income of $0.07 cents per diluted share. Our guidance also assumes 39.2 million weighted average basic and diluted shares and 40.7 million weighted average diluted shares. And we are assuming a tax rate of approximately 23% for the first quarter. This guidance assumes about 47% of new license bookings from SAS and subscription, which results in a revenue and profitability headwind of about $10 million for the first quarter of 2021. We are also initiating our guidance for the full year 2021, which reflects the strength of our pipeline, our overall opportunity, and an assumption for the mix of our bookings. We expect total revenue in the range of 484 to $496 million, which assumes approximately 55% of new license bookings from SAS and subscription, resulting in a revenue headwind to our guidance of approximately $39 million for the year. We expect non-GAAP operating income to be in the range of 20 to $30 million. We expect our non-GAAP net income per diluted share to be in the range of 45 to 64 cents. For the full year, we expect, our 40, expect about 40.8 million weighted average diluted shares and an effective tax rate of approximately 23%. For the full year, the increase in our expenses are related to four major areas. Our increasing investments in cloud infrastructure is impacting our gross margin for the full year. We expect to now be between 80 and 82%. Changes in exchange rates are increasing our expenses by about $10 million over 2020. In particular, uh, we'll hit R&D and G&A. As Udi mentioned, 2021 is a year of R&D investment across our offerings and our identity security platform. Lastly, we are investing in sales and marketing. Our record results in the fourth quarter and record pipeline throughout 2020 give us continued confidence in our market opportunity. It is critical that we invest today to drive long-term growth and get back to the rule of 40 after we exit the transition. As additional color, our guidance assumes that we resume travel at a lower level in the third quarter and a more normalized rate in the fourth quarter. In terms of free cash flow, we anticipate that it will be in line with our non-GAAP net income margin over a 12-month period. We also expect our annual CapEx to be in the range of $8 to $10 million, representing just under 2% of revenue at the midpoint. We had a record fourth quarter and are thrilled with our momentum as we enter 2021. We are confident that our strategy to begin actively transitioning to a recurring revenue model will make growth more durable and profitable, which will drive value for CyberArk, our customers, partners, and shareholders.
We want to wish you and your family's health and safety. I will now turn the call over to the operator for Q&A. Operator? As a reminder to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Your first question comes from the line of Sackett, Talia with Barclays. Hey, Josh. Thanks for taking my questions here. How are you? We're great. Um, good, to, good to hear from you guys, too. Udi, maybe just for you, um, just digging right into the subscription transition, you know, understanding that it's still very early here, what are you sort of seeing from, from customers in terms of preference for, for term licenses versus SaaS, and how do you think about that mix sort of over time, if you will? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Jackie. First of all, we're, we're really seeing a strong uh, reception to our uh, transition uh, across the board, uh, like I said, customers, partners, and, uh, and employees. Uh, with, with regards to the mix, I would say it's about a two-to-one uh, mix towards uh, preference for SaaS and among uh, uh, new customers, and uh, I, we, we expect that to, uh, to continue, uh, really in line with, uh, with uh, the approach to, to consume more and more uh, SaaS solutions, and, uh, and, and they're very uh, excited about our uh, offerings there. So I would say that, that, that trend should continue, a two-to-one mix towards SaaS. Got it. Got it. That's helpful. Josh, maybe for you, thanks, thanks for the guide on, on mix next year. Um, I think you said it, it should be roughly a $39 million headwind. And, and if, if I remember correctly, I think the headwind here in 2020, I think, is about $45 million. So it's actually a smaller headwind next year. So I guess the question is, how are you thinking about that, maybe given the increased sales focus on selling staff and subscription in 2021? Yeah, thanks, Jacket. Uh, you know, well, basically, we are seeing. Uh, you know, we had a very big increase uh, this year. You know, with the with that high headwind, and, and it jumped from I think 10% of our mix uh, being SaaS and subscription to 35% for the year. And now we're talking about in the guide, um, it jumping to you know high 40s in the first quarter, about 47%, and, and, a, and a blended of about 55% uh, for the full year. So, you know, I would focus on that mix, which, which then basically is really going to, um, you know, drive DAR growth uh, for the year in, in, 20, in 2021 as well. So, you know, uh, when we look at the headwind, the headwind obviously will decrease a little bit compared to 2020 because uh, the, we, we did, uh, you know, almost a two-and-a-half times increase uh, from 10 to 35 percent compared to the 35 percent to uh, 55 percent this year. So, you know, we, we think we're very much right on the right track uh, for, our, for our 8 to 10 to quarter transition. Got it. Very helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Sterling Alti with J.P. Morgan. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. So with the uh, imminent move to subscription, I'm wondering if you saw anything like what, what other companies like Autodesk did where customers realized that subscription might be coming, Perpetual might be going away, and maybe accelerated the purchase of Perpetual in advance of that transition. Uh, hey, Sterling, Rudy here. I would actually say we, we looked at it carefully, and I think the, the overperformance in, in Q4 
is very much um, execution on, on deals that were, uh, were were in were in the pipe, and so it wasn't a scramble. This is a, this is your last shot because I think the, the way the way uh, we we position it again, they'll be able uh, to buy uh, uh, perpetual uh, going forward, but they'll be incentivized towards the SaaS and subscription. So I, it, it's really been uh, execution on that uh, on that strong pipeline we've been building. All right, great. And then Josh, one for you. Can you remind us under ASC 606, given the mix of the SaaS and subscription, how the revenue recognition treatment is for those two those two elements? And what I mean by that is how much is still being recognized up front because of certain amount being on on premise, and also maybe what is the average duration of the maintenance contracts that you've had historically? Yeah, right. Thanks, uh, thanks, Sterling. So with regard to 606, um, with regard to our, um, you know, ongoing subscription uh, term-based license that we've been that we've been selling, you know, for the last 12 months, uh, it's really around. It's going to be 50 uh, percent up front uh, in 2021 and 50 percent uh, uh, over the term of the contract. And uh, you know, as we, you know, as we move more and more into customers. Uh, buying uh, our, our newer subscription packages, which are going to include, uh, you know, SaaS components uh, uh, integrated into those into those on uh, into those subscription. Then it'll it'll be uh, moving down from the 50% level, um, you know, in, and it depends on really, uh, you know, how much of the SaaS components they buy uh, in the subscription. So. 50% will be the most that we'll, record, we'll recognize uh, on day one, but it, it could go down uh, into the 40s or into the 30s uh, as they as they uh, pick up SaaS pack, uh, subscription packages that have more and more SaaS components. Um, with regard to the uh, second, uh, uh, with regard to duration, we're about uh, two years uh, on duration, uh, average duration for the maintenance contracts. Perfect. Thank you. Your next question comes from Jonathan Ho with William Blair. Hi. Good morning, and congrats on the strong results. I just wanted to start out with uh, some of your comments that you had on solar winds. You know, can you talk about you know maybe what you're seeing from the customers, and you know what the typical you know cadence or timing is for a breach like solar winds to maybe translate uh, into revenue. Uh, absolutely, Jonathan. And I think uh, as industry veterans, uh, uh, we, we, we can both agree that this is uh, one of those uh, pivotal uh, uh, major events. Uh, uh, I think every five or ten years we have an event that shapes the industry, and this is, uh, this is one of them. Uh, we, well, leveraging the, uh, the virtual uh, environment, actually meeting more and more uh, customers, CISOs, and, and CIOs, and um, first of all, they all understand that this attack demonstrates uh, that you need an assumed breach uh, mindset. Uh, the attacker will get that initial foothold, and how do you protect uh, deeply inside? Um, and that uh, attackers uh, want privilege access because they want to undermine all of the uh, the other controls, like the attackers uh, did here, and uh, um, and, and attacked uh, tier zero assets and undermined and went after uh, uh, trying to be a regular uh, identity in, in the in the environment. So I think we're, we're very much part of that uh, that second wave, the first uh, response 
uh, was to was to run patches and and and, uh, and uh, of course those that were directly affected look if they had the uh, the the, uh, uh, the malware installed. Uh, but the second wave, which we believe is the longer uh, tailwind, and what we're hearing from our advisory firm partners and, and from incident responders, is is really uh, how do we invest in uh, in in trust systems in our uh, in our environment. Let's make sure that we have the deep controls in, in our environment uh, to uh, to protect uh, identity and what we call uh, identity security. So that would be on infrastructure, on cloud infrastructure, and then uh, a, a additional attention now to securing the DevOps and the DevOps pipeline because of how this, this whole thing uh, uh, happens. So I think we'll, we'll see a, a longer uh, tail to this, uh, but, but CyberArk with identity security is really right at the heart uh, of of uh, of creating that uh, that flight to trust. Excellent. And then, you know, just in terms of, um, I, I guess, the R and D investments that you intend to make uh, in 2021. You know, where do you see the most opportunities there? You know, are there specific product groups that you want to dedicate you know more funds to or add more features to? I just want to get some additional color on on where that's going to head. Thanks. Uh, absolutely. I think I think we'll provide. Uh, uh, even more color uh, in the uh, in the investor uh, day, but I would say we're we're doing uh, the, the following. First of all, as, as Josh alluded, we are continuing to support the, the many uh, on-prem uh, uh, customers. So, so investing across the board in in our existing uh, uh, solutions, we need them happy, successful, and and like I said, protecting uh, our base. Uh, and then the bigger um, in investment is going towards our our identity security platform. Uh, continue to provide a additional uh, capabilities um, in, in, uh, in SaaS-delivered identity uh, uh, security. So it's, uh, it's really in our, in our SaaS platform. A lot of things uh, uh, are, have, are, are being uh, integrated onto, uh, onto a single modern uh, SaaS um, uh, offering that will serve our customers for, for, for many years to come. Thank you. Hi, operator, can you move to the next question? Your next question comes from the line of Fatima Bulani with UBS. Good morning. Thank you for taking the questions. Um, Udi, maybe I'll start with you. The SaaS portfolio has obviously expanded uh, significantly in the last 12 to 18 months, especially with the addition of iDaptive. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us about uh, uh, which particular products and or schemes within the SaaS portfolio you expect to drive the bulk of the momentum and activity for 2021. And then I have a follow-up for Josh, please. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm, and sorry for that uh, for that wait there on the on the on the call. Uh, I, I think um, uh, we're really seeing. I mean, if if, if you look at, uh, at at Q4 and and this past year, we're, we're seeing EPM uh, endpoint privilege manager, and and also in the context of the prior question on SolarWinds, it's 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 become the no-brainer 
uh, solution for for ensuring uh, that uh, that uh, uh, endpoints, including servers, which we were, were attacked were attacked in this uh, in this case, uh, are in least privilege mode and they were preventing uh, uh, credential theft. Uh, so I would say e uh, uh, endpoint privilege manager, our privilege cloud for sure. Uh, we're, we're seeing really strong uh, adoption of, of customers. Uh, uh, wanting to consume this uh, as uh, as uh, as a service, and of course our access uh, portfolio, uh, which, which is uh, like like you said, adaptive, um, but but includes uh, additional components like uh, like Alero that that was born uh, uh, organically, and um, and so this is uh, this going to be a big uh, uh, differentiator uh, uh, for us to have such a wide uh, uh, portfolio uh, as as we think of uh, of the new uh, subscription uh, offering. Fair enough. Um, Josh, maybe shifting to you, um, you did touch on some of the cash flow dynamics we should expect to see in the business, uh, but I'm wondering if we could unpack uh, some of the puts and takes around cash flow and cash flow trajectory, uh, especially over the next eight to ten quarters as you undertake this transition, uh, and also uh, considering um, you know the maintenance revenue trajectory is going to look a lot different uh, now that uh, you are going to be emphasizing uh, uh, recurring subscription and, and term licenses. So wondering if you could just sort of reconcile that and help us uh, with the trajectory of, of cash flow dynamics over the next eight to ten quarters of transition horizon. And that's it for me. Thank you. Great. Thanks, uh, Fatima. So, uh, you know, to start off with, uh, just to remind uh, on the call, uh, what we're looking at for the year um, is going to be somewhere around our net, our non-GAAP net income margin, which should be similar to, uh, to the uh, cash flow, to the cash flow margin. I think in the near term, there'll be some pressure on cash flow uh, as it relates to uh, duration and annual payments on the more, on the increasing uh, mix going to SaaS and subscription business. So, uh, you know, I do think, you know, in the past we've historically been running at higher than our net income uh, uh, margin, and now we're talking about going closer to our net income margin, and I think that's where you're going to see the that's that's where the the pressure is coming in uh, to reduce from the from uh, less maintenance contracts, which are frequently paid uh, all up front on the, um, what if it's multiple years to multiple years uh, SaaS and subscription contracts, which will be now paid more likely to be paid annually. Um, but overall, uh, we feel good about, uh, you know, the cash flow um, margin relative to where net income will be, but uh, and the duration that we're seeing of our SaaS and maintenance uh, and, and subscription contracts are fairly similar on average to our maintenance contracts. It's just that there will be a uh, um, more of them being paid uh, annually as opposed to upfront. Very helpful. Thank you, Josh. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Essex with Goldman Sachs. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking the question. Um, I, I was wondering, maybe if I could start with um, with the, the strength that you saw in the perpetual. I mean, really nice results there. Um, how, and, and I think you noted that 74% of license revenue for, was from, you know, add-on bookings. How much of that strength was, um, I guess, customers that may have may not have um, pursued a, a complete end-to-end -end solution coming back and right-sizing their 
um, you know, right-sizing their uh, solution, you know, given the macro and, and elevated threat environment that we saw uh, over the past year. Uh, hi, Brian. Udi here. Absolutely. That's exactly uh, the, the, the trend we saw, that if throughout the year those customers were taking, and an, uh, uh, I would say, the, the, a small first bite because of the uncertainty macro, uh, they, they were they were expanding as it came towards uh, towards Q4 and and, uh, and and really going for what they really needed, and so we saw that both with uh, with new logos uh, uh, that, uh, that that landed uh, throughout the year and, and had faster uh, faster add-on, and we saw that with with add-on uh, with with add-on business in in Q4 uh, consuming more. Um, again, both, both we saw that both in, 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 in both sides of uh, perpetual and on the subscription side, but definitely that's part of the um, the, the overachieve on the on the perpetual side. Got it. That's that's helpful. Thanks, Edie. And, and and maybe just to follow up on the transition, um, maybe if I could get a better understanding of when Salesforce incentives went into place and what the trajectory of transition to. SaaS and subscription as a percentage of total license bookings you might expect, and I imagine it would be back half weighted towards the end of 2021. But um, just to maybe help understand how those, um, how that migration may roll forward through through the, the next fiscal year. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, we, we the, I, I think the timing of, of, of announcing it to the world in November and getting the organization ready really worked well for us. The entire team uh, had gone through uh, through training uh, leading up uh, to, to the end of the year, but we kicked off the year with uh, with a full uh, kickoff, and that's when the the uh, uh, the full incentives and, and training went into uh, uh, went into uh, went into play. And uh, it, it's it's really exciting to see. I think uh, how how the, the the sales team and the broad team um, uh, really embrace this uh, this transition. So obviously we have six to nine month uh, uh, sales cycles, uh, and and so like you said, we 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 uh, we, we believe that the the, the bigger mix shift uh, will occur towards the uh, the back half uh, of, of the year. That's that's the way to think about the uh, uh, the bigger uh, impact. We we did see as we move through. Uh, 2020, a natural increase in, in pipeline of, of SaaS and subscription. So it's it's already bearing fruit uh, uh, for for the first half, but the the bigger impact is in the second half. Got it. Got it. That's very helpful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Your next question comes from Rob Owens with Piper Sandler. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, you mentioned uh, some wins that you had. With regard to adaptive uh, to restaurant change, car manufacturer. Just curious, I know it's still early, but where you're seeing success, how competitive these deals are, these pre existing customers, and, and why you're winning in these? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, in, in the, the, there are probably two dimensions to, to talk about. One is, is existing Cyborg uh, customers uh, that were always saying, if you'd have it, we would buy it from you. And, um, and and so uh, that that's a dynamic we we would of course are seeing the early fruits uh, the early fruits of and uh, will be bigger um, into 2021 now that we we trained uh, the full team and uh, and that ev everyone um, on, on the team can can sell the full um, the full portfolio but those customers uh, trust us for for privilege access management and while you've expanded and you can actually put security on our workforce. 
um, uh, we we, um, we we want to expand uh, with you. Uh, the second one is, is is really actually creating that as a as a landing force, and an, an adaptive came with a. Uh, with a with a commercial team um, that, uh, that that we're expanding, and so I would say uh, in both um, uh, mid market, but also in, in the enterprise, um, as another way to land uh, uh, land new accounts. Of course, the bigger lever and the bigger fly really is the, is the existing strong uh, uh, cyber customer base, but, but we're we're also uh, uh, seeing some healthy good examples of uh, differentiated uh, selection of adaptive because of uh, its uh, security foundation and the fact that they can then expand to the full uh, uh, cyber portfolio. Great. And then secondarily, while we've all circled our calendar for your, your analyst day in March, I'm sure we'll do a lot of commentary around ARR and the transition. Prior to then, as we set our, our 21 models, any guardrails around ARR growth that we should be thinking about? Uh, yeah, hi Rob, it's Josh. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know I, I would probably um, you know we want to think about the mix shift that we talked about, which is going to be towards 55% uh, blended uh, for the year. And if I were to think about AAR, I would uh, kind of use 30% as the right way to look at it. All right, thank you. 30% growth. Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Nowinski with VA Davidson. Great, thank you. I uh, just want to start off with uh, any large deals uh, that you may have had uh, in the quarter. Any, anything abnormal in Q4? And, and were any of those deals, did they perhaps they pull in from Q1 into Q4, um, or were they all expected? Actually, a very normal quarter in terms of uh, uh, diversity and, and hi Andrew, uh, a very normal quarter in terms of um, of, of diversity um, in uh, deal sizes, geographic mix, and, and all of those. And so no and no uh, no pull in, no pull ins. This was uh, uh, execution on that uh, uh, expanded pipeline we've been we've been talking about in the last couple of uh, uh, of, of quarters, and, and that led to the um, the uh, overperformance. Okay, great. And then I just wanted to maybe touch on uh, competition in the uh, in the space. There's certainly some chat around uh, Insight Partners looking to sell Psychotic. I'm just wondering if you could comment on, on any of the competition you're seeing, if that's changed at all uh, in your space. Thanks. Yeah, I would say that our leadership in PAM has never been stronger. We recently shared in our internal kickoff the continued strong win rates, of course the leadership with the industry analysts. I would say no big change in that competitive environment, really sidebar continuing through doing all the right things, innovating, expanding organically, non-organically to that full portfolio. Uh, what you alluded to from uh, the, the private equity holdings, I think that's one of the things that uh, our customers uh, and prospects look at. They, they view this as mission critical, and they, they want to partner with a company that's, uh, that's going to be there uh, for the long run and, and that consistently invests in, in innovation. Like, uh, we, we use the term today of hacker innovation. I really think it's something to, to pause and, and think about. There is hacker innovation, so our industry has to invest in innovation, hence our investment, in, in uh, which I was asked about earlier, continuing investment in 2021. 
and and it's a differentiator in this uh, in this market. This is a nice. It's not a nice to have layer. This is a mission critical uh, layer, and that's with regards to the PAM market. Obviously, with uh, with our expansion um, in, into identity security, we're we're, we're now playing in, in the, uh, the the adjacent uh, opportunity, and, and and of course we're we're early we're early there, uh, but but focused on on the customers that. Uh, uh, the put a preference on, um, on on security and and uh, and, and lastly, uh, we, DevSecOps is just a, a huge uh, a huge opportunity where uh, uh, it, it's it's probably about uh, one and one additional player uh, out there as we go after uh, the the, uh, the DevSecOps opportunity. That's great, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Hasna. Fadawala with Morgan Stanley. Hey guys, good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Uh, Josh, just a, a, one question for you. I want to follow up on your comment around um, ARR growth, thinking about it maybe in, in, in the 30s to start with. Um, if I look at the ARR growth trajectory this year, right, it's been accelerating, you know, um, in, in the 40s now, right? You, you mentioned, I think, Around 50% of your of your of your bookings were uh, you know recurring this year. You're saying 55% uh, for next year, um, and you really like you're just starting to basically incentivize the sales force towards selling SaaS. So I'm just curious, like, do you think that initial you know outlook is you know just conservative, or is there anything else that we should be uh, mindful of? Uh, yeah, uh, great question. Um, you know, I think the other thing that we need to be mindful of, we anticipate, you know, if we hit our mix shift that we're talking about uh, of 55% of the uh, of the new license bookings coming from SaaS and subscription, then, then you know, we're confident for very high uh, AAR growth on the, on the SaaS and subscription side of the business. Uh, the one thing that we need to keep in mind, though, is there, there will be uh, a drag uh, on the AAR growth as it relates to the maintenance, uh, which will be uh, flat, and depending on what the mix shift is, you know, it, it, there could even be, you know, a minus drag. So um, I think that's the one piece that uh, that uh, the model needs to consider is is the is the mix shift of uh, is the, is the shift is the mix of the of the bookings because that's going to also uh, play into how much uh, does the AAR from the maintenance contracts related to the perpetual uh, uh, goes up. But I would say that uh, you know, overall we're looking at uh, great growth on the SaaS and subscription side of the AAR. Thank you. Much higher than the 30%. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Your next question comes from Greg Makazowicz with Mizuho. All right, thank you very much. Hi, guys. Uh, I guess just first question for Udi, just from an ecosystem standpoint, where do things stand uh, with respect to the number of certified professionals on CyberArk, and about half, how fast would you say that's been growing? So, Greg, I actually don't have an updated uh, uh, a, a number for you, but we've, we've continuously been uh, been investing in that uh, in that ecosystem and, and, and made it more and more. Uh, uh, accessible for uh, uh, for our partners. So I think it's been it's it's, it's been growing every quarter, um, and next time around I'll make sure to uh, to share a number of uh, certified professionals out there. Perfect. Thanks for that, Udi. Uh, and then just for Josh, uh, what are your expectations of SaaS and subscription adoption by companies that are based in EMEA and Asia Pac? How do you sort of see that evolving from here? Uh, yeah, you know, clearly, and I and I pointed out in our call. Um, 
you know, America has uh, contributed to the largest percentage of the, of the SaaS and subscription business in 2020, but we started already in the back half of, uh, of 2020, starting to see it uh, come in in, in EMEA and in, and in APJ. We're, we're set up on the SaaS side across all the regions with regard to our data centers to, uh, to be able to sell uh, all, of our, all of our SaaS products uh, with local data centers uh, in the regions. And, um, you know, we expect it uh, to, uh, to pick up, um, you know, into 2021 as we start to, one, uh, you know, really roll out the subscription packages and the, and the account executives uh, get comfortable there. And, two, of course, the incentive plan is the same incentive plan uh, for, uh, for the EMEA and APJ regions as in the Americas. So they'll be, uh, you know, they're, they're going to uh, be well incented to, to learn how to sell subscription and SaaS uh, in those regions as well. All right, that's great. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Your next question comes from the line of Joshua Tilton with Berenberg. Yeah, hi guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I just wanted to touch on. You mentioned incentivizing the sales force to sell SaaS and subscription. Are you also disincentivizing the sales of perpetual? Um, and then also, when you just talk to customers who choose to pick term, you know, what are the reasons for not wanting to go with the cloud offering? Uh, so, so but, but great question, and no, we're not disincentivizing uh, uh, the, the perpetual. Uh, we're incentivizing. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the carrot, carrot technique. Uh, we're, we're incentivizing the SaaS and, uh, and, uh, and, and subscription. Um, I, I would say it's still, it's still early to have, like, a, a, a lot of uh, – uh, of, of uh, examples of, of uh, customers on the on the fence, um, but again, like I said, there's there's a, a, a two to one um, uh, mix towards uh, towards SaaS. The ones who do uh, who, who do uh, uh, prefer uh, uh, subscription um, are, are are organized this way. They still they still want uh, are, are still leaning to uh, to having uh, to having on prem. Um, and, and of course, ones who would push for for perpetual, uh, I, I would say um, more more on the government uh, in government sectors and, and APJ, like uh, uh, like Josh mentioned. I would say those those uh, were, were kind of organized to and, and still used to buying perpetual. But that's really uh, we expect that to be a uh, a, a, a decreasing minority as as we uh, as we go through this. Thanks, that was helpful. And if, and if I, I missed this, I apologize. But if you look at the SaaS business from 2020, could you possibly break out how much of that was adaptive and maybe give us a sense of what that business is growing at? Um, and then also, did you just see the lower pricing relative to some of your peers maybe play in your favor during this macro environment? So I, I, I wouldn't say that uh, that, that lower um, that, that lower pricing uh, was was the the, the dynamic in uh, in adaptive uh, in adaptive wins, uh, and, and I think the the portfolio in general is, is really uh, uh, considered the, uh, the the robust uh, security minded uh, uh, portfolio. Um, but um, it's, it's for the security it's for the security uh, uh, oriented. Uh, buyer were really uh, uh, differentiated, um, and, and Josh, I don't know if we can if we can uh, give anything on the on the on the on the mix. All right, thank you. Congrats on the quarter. Thank you. Thank you. At this time, I will turn the conference back to Udi Mukadi. 
Thank you. Thank you, Erica. And of course, thank you, Erica Smith and, and Josh Siegel here. Uh, I want to thank our customers, partners, and employees for contributing to our record fourth quarter and supporting our transition to a modern subscription company. I'm confident that as we execute our strategy, we will build an even deeper relationship with our customers and partners. Thanks, everyone, for joining today. Thank you. Thank you for participating. You may disconnect at this time.